you did in bringing healing to the hearts. You're the God who's never changed. From days of old to this generation, your heart has been to change generations. And God, I pray over every person that's here, open their hearts to hear and to receive from you. We thank you for the time of worship that's welcomed your presence. Now I pray for the proclamation of the word of God that transforms the human heart. Give us ears to hear and give me a mouth to speak. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Here's my big idea. Here's the one thing I want you to hear this morning. If you don't take anything else away, I want you to hear this this morning. Passing on faith in a good and glorious God to future generations. Passing on the faith in a good and glorious God to future generations. When God called my wife and I to plant this church in 1999, I remember very clearly, I remember very, very clearly where I was at. I remember God just speaking to me. I was laying in bed in Seattle, Washington, and God told me that I was going to do something new this year. I didn't know exactly what it meant, but the things that have been happening and the things that have been happening in my world and the passion that God had given me for planting churches about five years before that were really beginning to grow. And that year, God spoke to me. And God said, I want you to go. I had no idea that God would call me to Orlando, Florida, because at that time, Orlando, Florida was a place just where Mickey lived. Uh, Eugene Smith didn't live in Central Florida. Mickey lived in Central Florida. And uh, it was the farthest thing from my mind. I mean, being a West Coast, I mean, a, a little West Coast, not Tampa, Sarasota, West Coast, but I mean, a real West Coast boy, born in California, raised in Arizona, lived in Oregon and Washington. I never had a thought in my mind that I would one day start a church here in Central Florida. But yesterday, as I was driving my son to school and, and he was working with some students up there, I began to talk about God and what God had done in our family and our life. My mind went back and I began to think about the reality. I began to think about the reality of the step that I took. The step that I took. You see, the Bible says that Abraham, it was accounted unto him to be a righteous man because he put his faith in God. He put his faith in God. And by putting his faith in God, he was willing to put his walk with God. And as he began to walk with God, as I began to move forward in God's kingdom, God brought us to this place. And in 2004, City Church family purchased this property and where we've been located for almost the last nine years now. Over these last nine years, we've seen countless, literally thousands and thousands of people walk through these doors. And we've baptized hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. And over the years, I've literally watched the generations. And even today, as I saw Eric and Kelly bring little Olivia, Courtney Olivia, to the stage and we dedicated to the Lord, I saw the work of God taking place in generations. This man, Asaph, was passionate about generations. He was passionate about passing the faith onto future generations. As a matter of fact, right in the very beginning, he says, Hey, guys, listen up. Come on, get real close. I want you to hear what I have to say. Listen, I'm serving in David's courts. I'm the man that David is appointed to usher in the presence of God. And I want you to know today, I want you to know there is a way for us to live and that's a way, a, a way for us to walk. He was really, really intent. He wanted them to hear. And this message today that I'm sharing with you is a message that I want you to hear. You see, because this thing, the church, the body of Christ, is not about me. 
It's not about me. But what it is about is God working through me to glorify Christ so that the nations can know the name of Jesus and He can become famous in our city. You see, God sent His Son Jesus. And this thing we call the church, the body of Christ, is all about Him. It's all about Him working through us so that we can work together to bring His name to this generation. And then the this generation will take it to the next generation. I asked myself this question when we started this church. What kind of church do I want my boys to grow up in? What kind of church do I want my family to grow up in? And maybe you're like me. You grew up in a church where the model or the style of ministry, and it wasn't bad necessarily. It's what they knew, but it was fairly stuck. It was stuck in a mode, in a model that was pretty outdated for his generation. Difficult for them to break away from the hymn books. Difficult for my home church to allow somebody to play drums. I mean, to have what we had on the platform this morning with electric guitars and full-out worship and people playing drums never would have happened in my home church. My pastor was terrified of allowing that kind of sound in the church. And I remember when we, when we started this church, I asked myself, what kind of church would I want my boys to be a part of? And what I really came to the conclusion is, is I wanted my church, the church that God had entrusted to me to plant and to lay a foundation and to build, was to be a church where there was faith, where there was hope, where people loved God passionately and were free to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It was our very heart from the very beginning, and we knew that we had to reach the younger generation. We knew that we had to reach the children and the young people. And even when we had no money and we were starting little literally on a shoestring my wife and I would take teams of people and we would go out into the community and knock on doors and invite children and families to come to church and we saw the roots in the beginning of this church start off with children and youth and to this very day to this very day it's been the heartbeat of this church it's been the very heartbeat of this church last week on this campus, on this campus, from Sunday to Wednesday, we had over 750 people. Come on, give God a big hand. A campus that was designed to hold 180 people. And over 50% of them were under the age of 18. Over 50% last Sunday morning. Last Sunday morning, under the age of 12, we had 37% of the people on this campus. Under the age of 12, I, when I began to look at the numbers, it was staggering me. And what I realized what God was doing in this church is what He had called me to do, to bring this message to this generation. About nine years ago, there was a really skinny green bean of a young man that showed up in my life. His name, he had bright red hair, and he was passionate for Jesus. His spirit matched the color of his hair. He was on fire. I remember the very first time I saw uh, Pastor Glenn now, but I saw Glenn leading the young people in worship. I had taken over the, the youth ministry. We had another associate at the time, and, and I'd let the, 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 uh, the other pastor preach to the adults. And I went over to the youth ministry, and I was trying to get things rolling and going, and, and this young man showed up. And he said he could play the guitar. So I just stuck him up on the stage, and he brought some buddies with him, and they started playing the guitar. And I said, it's going to work. It's going to work. I saw the passion. The first time I handed him a microphone and I heard him preach, I heard the passion for this generation. And over the next several months, as I released him and empowered him to minister into this community, into this local church, I had no idea what God was going to do. 
And over the last eight or nine years, Glenn and now his wife, Natalie, have become some of our very closest friends in the whole world. And it has been an honor and a privilege for me to partner with a young man who has a vision for this generation. It's helped shape the culture and the DNA of this church. And we have seen literally thousands of young people, to no exaggeration, over the last thousands come through the doors of this church and experience the presence of God. I've seen them come to the altars over and over. And Lord, we're not responsible for what happens when they leave here. We can't help all the things that take place in their family and their homes. But when they come into this place, they know that this is a God place. This is a God house. This is a God moment. Last weekend, we had 52 of our young people went to Ormond Beach where they competed with thousands of young people across the state of Florida. Thousands of young people. Literally tens of thousands across the nation will be here in August competing in this same competition. We had 52 of our young people. And this morning, I wanted you to hear the passion of a couple of them. I want to welcome this morning Ashley Poole. Ashley, how are you? Ashley is 15 years of age, and she's going to come and share a spoken word with us. Can you welcome Ashley Poole as she comes to the City Church platform? I love you. I want to give you the hug before you preach, all right? So do something for me. Close your eyes and imagine someone you would think to be blameless, innocent, pure, someone that you look up to or even a role model that you've had since a little kid. Imagine them walking home from the grocery store another casual day, but then something happened. All of a sudden they were attacked, stolen from, and beaten to the point where they are unrecognizable and can barely stand up. Open your eyes. While he or she is lying there on the ground, people walk or walk past them who are shy, bad day at work, antisocial, people even who look them in the eye, want to help and still turn away. But then one person, one person had a different idea, a different heart. You see, this isn't just a story. This actually happened in the Bible, in the book of Luke. It's a story about the Good Samaritan and how he went out of his way to make sure a man was completely healed and that he was okay. Sadly, many instances in the society end up without that Good Samaritan or without that hope for life for another day. We are called to finish the race and to complete the task the Lord Jesus has given us, to testify to the gospel of God's grace in Acts 20.24. And this story about the Good Samaritan is one of the best ways that I have ever known to share the gospel of God's grace through compassion and love. There are so many times in a day that most of us pass by perfect opportunities to share the gospel of God's grace or to do something simple for somebody. Whether it be you're walking in the grocery store and somebody's whizzing by you in their own world and they drop their keys and you make sure that those keys get back to them safely. Or if somebody's sitting next to you and they have snot and boogers all over their face and you grab them a tissue, that tissue might change their entire day or maybe their, even their entire perspective on life if you believe in it enough. To think about our society being more like the Good Samaritan every day would be absolutely amazing. But nothing can happen unless we do something. Just showing that you care just a tiny bit is sharing the gospel of God's grace. Because isn't God's grace shown through love, mercy, kindness, compassion, and any other thing that you can think of? In Luke 8.16 it says that no one lights a lamp and puts it in a jar or hides it under a bed. 
Instead, he puts it on the stand so that those who come in can see the light. So answer me this. Why would God have any crazy idea to go through the whole process of creating you, shaping you into the person he wants you to be if he had nothing for you to do? As an example, one of you might be sitting here right now in this audience saying, yeah, God's gifted me with all these great things to change the world with, but I'm too shy, so I'm only going to share them with my brother or with my sister, maybe even my best friend, if they're lucky. How do you expect God to change the world through you if you only share those great things with your brother or sister? Come on. Yet so many of us do this. This is not honoring God's call in your life. Instead, you're putting those things in a jar, you're hiding them under a bed so that nobody can see them. This is not sharing the gospel of God's grace. That one time where you decide to do something great for somebody might be the only part of Jesus that someone sees in a day. And you get to share it with the world. Amen. I was once told to find the way, the way to find true joy is through Jesus first, others, then yourself. Not the other way around. And being generous is definitely not subtracted from the equation. Sharing the gospel of Jesus seems unnerving at first. Trust me, I was that shy one, that timid one, sitting in the corner waiting for people to come to me so that I could share the gospel of God's grace with them. Silly, right? But through God changing you and shaping you into the person he wants you to be, telling you the right things to say in those moments when you're talking to someone who doesn't know the Lord, it starts to become a natural way of speaking and such a blessing that you never thought you could have. Amen. Come on, amen. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's workmanship. So why not do the work that God has called you to do to finish the race that he has called us all to do? Personally, I have passed up so many opportunities to pull over my car for that same woman or man we see on the side of the road every single day. And don't we all? But now is the time. Now is the time to get off our butts and start doing something. Come on to share the gospel of God's grace in every circumstance and do it proudly knowing that God is right here next to us holding our hand every single moment of every single day. We will not go unrecognized in the Lord's eyes and that is enough. Thank you. Amen. Come on. Great job, Ashley. We love you. Good job. Wow. Ashley, I've, I watched her grow up in this church, and I never knew that was in you. And that's our heart, to bring God's love to the city. She's got it. See, we pass it on to the next generation. We pass it on to the next generation, our passion for people, our love for people, regardless of race, regardless of social economic background, regardless of station or place in life. We love people. We're called to demonstrate the love of God in practical, tangible ways in the city. Ashley, thank you for reminding that of that of this, of that today. And this young man that's coming next, he's been in our church for a long time. I remember, I think, uh, many years, I don't know, so many years ago, but I think since you were a little boy. And Daniel Colley has grown up in this church, and he's heard the word. And I've watched even as Daniel has been transformed the last several years as he's been part of the wide open church. And I've seen the grace of God and the power of God at work in his life. And Daniel's going to come and share with us this morning how we need to take a stand against the influences of our generation. Let's give Daniel a big hand as he comes. When I was younger in Sunday school, I was taught a song about watching my eyes, my ears, and my mouth. You see, I never really thought much of this song other than that it was a catchy Sunday school song that we all used to listen to 
like this, like Father Abraham, or this little light of mine. But you see, every time I think of this song, or I even just like start singing it by myself, I think of a, a, a verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, which says, Do you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were brought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You see, Jesus has a plan for our lives. That's why we were born on this earth, to make a difference in someone else's life. You see, the devil is a deceiver and a tempter, and he will do anything in his way to stop you from your race. I'm going to focus on, on what my opinion are, the two biggest temptations the devil uses on our day-to-day -day lives. Music and movies. The culture that we live in is based off the newest movies, the newest music, um, who the newest artists are. We listen to gossip about different celebrities on how this celebrity is back in rehab or how this other celebrity has another kid. We turn on the radio and we listen to artists like Lil Wayne or Katy Perry and all the songs they sing are about glorifying the world. You see, music has a strong impact on us emotionally and spiritually. It can move us to do something, or it can move us to say something. You see, a lot of people cope with their emotions through music, like I did. I used to be frustrated and angry and mad, and I didn't really know where to find anything, so I just turned to rap music. I would fill myself with the filth of the world. I would, uh, the songs that I would sing would be glorifying women, glorifying money, glorifying everything that does not glorify God. You see, my personal testimony reminds me of 1 Samuel 16, 23, which says, Whenever the Spirit of God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then the relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. You see, God's music, God's influence in my life changed me. We are not of this world, so don't let the enemy make you believe so. You see, the devil wants to distract you from doing God's deeds. He doesn't want us saving souls for the kingdom. You see, a lot of music's themes are about the sex, drugs, and money. If we fill ourselves with that filth, how are we going to go and speak to our friends at school? How are we going to go to a co-worker and talk, about, talk to them about Jesus? See, the devil also tells us lies about how this music doesn't affect us or how it won't do anything in our lives. You see? But it will. It has a lot of effect. Like John 15, 19 says. It says, if you belong to this world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to this world, but you were chosen out of this world. That is why the world hates you. Our bodies are the home of the Holy Spirit. You see? You need to guard yourselves like you would guard a prized possession. As children of God, we have to protect ourselves in all aspects of our lives. We have to ask God to help us, and we have to focus on prayer, worship, and reading our word. You see, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12 says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreign and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So my challenge to you is, don't let the enemy stop you from your race. Like Paul wrote, however, consider my life worth nothing to me. 
my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. So let us, as the church, finish the race. There's too much at stake. Thank you. Amen. Good job, buddy. Come on. Proud of you, man. You stand up here and try that sometime. <laughs> I'll just call you up. Just go ahead and try it out. Music, entertainment, movies are things that shape our culture. And the fact is they do teach values. They do teach a way of life. When the psalmist Asaph wrote this song, and it was a song, it was a song that told the story of Israel's history. From the time that they left Egypt until the time of the reign of David, Asaph penned these words in a song. It was a maskel. It was actually a tune. Maybe you've heard an old preacher boy that would get up and start to sing song as he preached. Very similar to what they would do in the Hebrew culture as they begin to declare the goodness of God and the glory of God. And as the psalmist began to describe, he said, listen, I want you to hear there are some lessons to learn from a previous generation. There are things that we can learn from a previous generation. There are three kinds of learners. There are, there are listening learners, there are seeing learners, and there are experiencing learners. The first two types of learners generally stay out of the ditch. It's the third kind of learner, the experienced learner, that tends to experience a lot of pain in their life. See, that you can learn from from doing it yourself, or you can do from listening and watching other people. You have a choice. As a young man, I had to try it myself. It, wa it wasn't what someone else told me. It wasn't what my father told me. Other people would warn me about the perils and the challenges of not following God, but I had to experience for myself. That's a dumb way. I I've always told people, I fell out of the stupid tree, and I hit every branch on the way down. There's a lot of pain with experiential learning. Oh, you can just throw yourself into a thing and you can find out, oh my goodness, how did I get here? Well, you got there because you made choices. You didn't listen and you didn't see what previous generations have done. The fact is, there is not a sin known to mankind that is new. Our generation's challenged. And we got challenges the world's never seen. There are three things I begin to really think about this that have shaped our culture and our generation over the last 50 years maybe even a little longer, but really the last 50 years. The first one has to do with knowledge and communications. Knowledge and communications. The proliferation of knowledge over the last 50 years, and it's literally been an explosion, has come about because of telecommunications, the ability to instantly communicate with people around the globe. And it's powerful, and it's got great benefits, but it also has great negativity that's brought along with it. The generation that's grown up today, they call it the Y generation or the millennium generation, doesn't know life without a computer. My boys have never seen life without a computer. If you're, you know, you're a little bit older, the next generation, the boomer generation that they call my generation, you know life without a computer. You know life without a cell phone. You know what it was to drive to a, a telephone booth in front of the 7-Eleven and try to dig through an old nasty, crusty phone book that, and the page that you needed had already been torn out. This generation has no idea what that's about. But communications have revolutionized the way that people see themselves. 
It tends to be more of a narcissistic culture with the ability to broadcast who you are to the whole world. Last week in USA Today, there was a young woman that just passed the one billion views on YouTube. I had never heard of her before. Uh, she, she articulates messages in three to five middle three to five minute little snippets and she broadcasts them on YouTube and they're geared towards young girls between the ages of 12 and 15 and she's had over 1 billion views she's made a whole life of it she's got people marketing her now she doesn't even leave her house for like 10 hours a day she just sits in front of a video camera and talks instant notoriety a young man by the name of Justin Bieber puts together a little video clip and the next thing you know he's one of the wealthiest 19 year olds on the planet it's amazing what communication has done but the reason that it's been possible is because there's been a tremendous amount of wealth wealth that staggers the mind 20 years ago the gross domestic product in the United States was 5 trillion dollars today it's 20 trillion dollars 20 trillion every year our economy we produce so much wealth and so much stuff and we think we got it bad but if you talk to people who lived in my grandfather's generation guys we have no idea what bad is we have no idea we live in this world it's really a world that's unbelievable we've been blessed beyond measure with stuff and junk and possessions and more stuff and it's never enough like the ancient Israelites it's like the meat that came out of their nose and they still complained to God they still complained these things have shaped our generation they've shaped our culture and Asaph said listen and he's singing the song he says look at it look at Israel God brought them out of Egypt they crossed the Red Sea they killed their enemies and what did they do they just complained they just complained it creeps into the church and we complain about song and style and sound and the fact is we have a mission to reach the next generation we have a mission to set aside our preferences to realize there's a culture of young people today that need Christ the fact is in our generation our generation that we live today religion Christianity is becoming irrelevant it's irrelevant. Things are happening in our marketplace. Things are happening in our governmental structures. Things are happening in our military than a generation ago could have never imagined. The National Atheist Society coming and talking to the Air Force and telling the chaplains to cool it and not pray in the name of Jesus. You're saying, my God, how could that happen? You know why it's happened? Because we haven't, as a church, been able to broadcast to the next generation the goodness of God, the grace of God, the power of God. You see, this generation is looking for something real, looking for something supernatural, the passing of the torch of truth to the next generation's Asaph said it like this, We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of our God and of His power and of His mighty works. You see, when people come through our doors, they don't need a bunch of rules. What they need to hear is the glory of God and the goodness of God and the power of God to change the human heart in our generation. God is in the life-changing business. Although there are differences from this generation to past generations, this one thing has never changed. 
God has a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a special people who have been called to proclaim people out of darkness into His marvelous light. That message and that mandate has never changed. And that's what we are called to in our generation. You see, the works of God and the words of God, they're powerful. The message that we have is that Christ did come to be the Savior. He did come to be the Savior. Although sin has been redefined and we don't understand what it is when people get into the context of believers who are loving and serving and being salt and light in their world, they realize there's a difference. But if there is no difference, if our values are the same, if we live the same, if preachers live the same kind of life, I'm ashamed today. I'm ashamed so many times at ministries. I'm ashamed so many times of those who represent the gospel, who live no different than the worldly counterparts live. Their lifestyle in excess, their lifestyle and values and morals, their lifestyle and the way that they view money is the same. I told my wife yesterday, one of the saddest things is that in this little circle, there's a, a group of bankers that, that loan money to churches. And the same amount of churches in America have defaulted on their loans as the people who live everyday lives. It should not be that way, folks. Come on, we're the people of God. We have a good God. We have Jehovah Jireh God. Come on, we need a message of hope to this generation. Someone said amen. This generation, we have a responsibility to pass it on to the next generation. The passing of the church. The passing of the church. Peter said it like this, promises to you and to your children and to those who are far off. That's a challenge to this generation. That's a challenge to live the lives that Christ has called us to. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Go all out for God, to surrender full for God, to be passionate for Him, fully giving our lives to Him. We have the challenge before us. Asa when he looked at it, when he looked at those who would do it, he said, there's always benefits. There's always benefits. He said, because when you put your hope in God, it's the greatest chance for your children to put their hope in God. My one desire, my one goal as a father and as a husband is to see my voice of the Lord. My one desire and my one passion is that my lid, my ceiling would become my boy's floor. My lid, my ceiling would become the next generation's floor. See, the best for this local church, the best for the kingdom of God is ahead. Come on, the righteous, the Bible says, grow brighter and brighter until the coming day. We're not going to beat a beat down, beat down, overcome, wimpified church. Listen, it might come with the cost. There might not be people who like us. We might be slammed in the media, but so what? We're still going to declare the goodness and the glory and the grace of our God in this generation. Jesus loved people. And when He hung on a cross, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We walk in forgiveness towards all people. People who see differently. People who look differently. People who live and think differently than us. I begin to think this week about what we could do as a church, what we could do and what we're doing. The greatest thing that I can do and the greatest thing that you can do is live your life as an example of a devoted follower of Christ to this generation. You can live your life full out for the kingdom of heaven, 
full out for the purposes of God. You can give, your, you can give of your resources and your time. You, you can make a difference. This last week, I got a text from Pastor Glenn. He went down to the Salvation Army where there were two of our men who were making an investment into the next generation. Can you put that picture up for me if you got that, Robert? Two of our men went down to the Salvation Army, and and we're going to show this picture, I hope, in just a second. There we go. That's Jimmy Watson and Richard Miles. And they had about 40 young men. And over the last five weeks, they've been teaching these young men about the ways of God. Going down to the Salvation Army, not only are they teaching them, Jimmy, man, a former college basketball and football player, great athlete, university vice president over here at UCF. Richard Miles works at Seminole County Public Schools, has a passion to impart this to the next generation, that there is a God. He has a way to live. And Jimmy right here, I understand that they had a bunch of tithes that they put out on the table, and they showed these young men how to tie their tie. He showed them how to write a resume. He said this week they're going to teach him how to write a check. I mean, come on, give God a big hand. Two men, two men right here in this church that are making an investment into the next generation. Come on, you can curse the darkness, you can curse the societal problems, or you can get in there, shut your mouth, and make a difference to the next generation. My God, help us. My God, help us. We can make an investment as we empower the next generation to pass it on to the next generation. We can make an investment, and we've committed ourselves as a local church. We've totally committed ourselves to this investment. I want you to stand with me this morning. It's the next generation. Yes, it's this generation. But i got to tell you guys today, i got to tell you, 85% of people that come to Christ... 85% come to Christ before they're the age of 12. 85%. We have a a mission. We have a message. We have a mandate as a church family to pass the torch to the next generation. That they may see the glory. That they may see the goodness. And that they may see the grace of God. And you're here today and you want to stand with me. Because I've committed. I'm all in. I'm all in. I put my life on the line for this. I'm laying everything down. I'm going to be 50 in just a couple of weeks, and I'm reevaluating what I'm doing in my life. I'm reevaluating what I'm committing myself to and the people that I'm committing myself to because there's a generation that's never heard. There's a generation. There's a generation today that hasn't had the same opportunities. Right now, I'm going to challenge us as a church family. You're here today. First, you don't know this God that we're talking about. You haven't experienced this grace that I'm talking about this morning in your own life. You don't know this Jesus that's changed my life. Come on, if you knew Ashley, if you knew even these young people that were here today, I've watched them and I've seen them go through the stages of life and now to where they are at the place they can stand and boldly proclaim the gospel to you. That's a work of grace. That's a work of God. I'm here today to tell you that God does love you. Maybe you feel like your life has gone adrift and you don't really have a sense of purpose. Jesus is here for you today. I'm throwing out a lifeline to you. Throwing out a lifeline to you. I'm sending a Facebook message to you. I'm crying out to you. There's a God who loves you. There's a God who loves you. And His grace is here for you to change your heart and 
to change your life. You're here today and you don't know Christ. You know that your life isn't right with God. Maybe you said a prayer a long time ago, but you know you've drifted away. And you're here this morning. You're here this morning. And you want God back in your life. When I count to three, I want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Right now, come on, anyone in this room? see that hand. I see that hand. Come on, anyone else? I see that hand. Christians, you should be praying. There are people that God's speaking to their hearts right now. God saw you raise your hand, sir. Ma'am, God saw you raise your hand. And he, he wants you to know he loves you. And there's Christians are praying for you right now and eyes are closed. And we're not here today to make you feel insignificant, but we are here to know that you are significant to God and you matter to him and he loves you. And I want us as a church family this morning, we're going to pray. We're going to ask Christ right now to come and change our hearts again. And if you raised your hand, I want you to pray this prayer with all sincerity. I want you to pray this with all sincerity. And I believe that wherever you're seated today, as you pray this prayer, the Spirit of God can touch you and change your heart. I want everyone to repeat after me, Lord Jesus, thank you today for what you've done for me. You came to save me. You came to forgive me. You came to give me a new heart. And I confess today, Lord Jesus, that I haven't done it right. I've made mistakes and I've sinned. But I turn my heart to you and I ask you to forgive me. Come to my life and change my heart. I need your grace today. I need to know your presence today. I need to know that you are real. I want a fresh start. In Jesus, your wonderful name. In your wonderful name. Amen. Just one more thing. Hang on, guys. One more thing. I want to challenge this church to the next generation. I want to challenge you today. If you're going to stand with me, and you say, I'm willing to pass the torch to the next generation. If that's you right now, I just want you to raise your hand. Come on. I want you to raise your hand right now. You're ready. Come on, look at this right here. This church is ready to explode. This church is ready. Look at all these hands that are up. Look at, you can look at one of the crossroads. Keep your hand up. Hands are up. Come on, we're ready to pass the torch to the next generation that needs to know a Savior. Father, I declare today your grace and your goodness and your power. You see every hand. We, we take this seriously, Lord. We're raising our hand to you and saying, God, we surrender. We're willing to be used by you to touch to bring grace, to bring hope, to pass the torch to the next generation. God bless. Bless this church. Bless this first service. Let the favor of the Lord reside here. We love you, Jesus, in your awesome and mighty name. In the mighty name of Jesus. Come on, let's